Welcome to Free Christian Church's Audio Outreach Ministries. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries, visit our website at freechristian.church to find links to our weekly podcast and past messages. Or you may contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103. And now, here's Pastor Jimmy Fry with today's message. John 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful for the work that you do in this place uh, to us, it's, it's just a place that's in the middle of nowhere. God, but it's a place where you've chosen to make your glory known. Lord, I pray that this message today for all of us is a reminder of who people have come to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. It's it's been quite a few years ago now that I read about an old Scottish uh, pulpit where they would take and they would engrave on the inside of their big wooden pulpits where only the pastor could see the words that read, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And it was on that same day that I went into the supply room here at the church and I found a black permanent marker and I wrote across the top of this pulpit right here where very few people have seen those same words that say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So that every time I enter into this pulpit or any time someone gives announcements from behind it or leads a song behind it, we are met with those words. The great reminder of the heart's cry of God's people gathered together. Sir, we wish to see Jesus It takes the whole of John chapter 12 to understand the significance of the response that Jesus gave to the Greeks. In fact, that response is a great challenge for us today. It demands a response from us of complete surrender. So in John 12, we are just six days before the Passover takes place, and Jesus has entered into most dangerous territory. He's only a couple miles from his enemy, those who wanted him dead. And he's there to visit his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We're familiar with this story. Mary takes the expensive ointment and she anoints the feet of Jesus and then wipes his feet with her hair. Now there's a message to this anointing that maybe we don't catch, but to anoint the feet of Jesus, Mary would have had to take in the place of a slave. Letting down her hair would have been a symbol of laying her own glory before the feet of Jesus. It's an act of worship, but it's reprimanded 
by Judas. Judas, who is a poser, right? Judas, who is pretending that in this moment he cares for the poor. We're we're given key words about Judas in verse 6. It says, having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas wasn't a good treasure. Judas wanted everyone to think that he cared for the poor by his loud, boisterous correction, but all of it was to serve his own glory. It was a look-at-me care for the poor to cover up the crime of theft. It was the exact opposite of what Mary was offering Then we come to verses 9 through 11. We read of the chief priest who didn't like the eyes of people upon Jesus because it was taking their eyes off of them. Earlier in John, we read about Nicodemus defecting. And then Scripture says, on account of him referring to Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So the chief priests, they were losing popularity, and it wasn't sitting well with them. They wanted to be seen, so they were plotting to kill Lazarus. Then we get to verse 12. We read about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The crowds are hailing King Jesus, but days later, these same people would disappear on a dark Friday of his death because a dead king would seemingly have nothing to offer them. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard he had done this sign. I wonder how many people had ignored the preaching of Jesus up until he had performed this miracle. You see, most everyone in these three stories prior to the scripture we started with were worried about themselves. They were worried about their own spotlight, asking the question, how can Jesus benefit me? Judas, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the crowd's intentions all summed up in the words found in verse 19. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Judas didn't like the eyes on Jesus, therefore he used the excuse of the poor for his own gain. As people would give to the disciples in the ministry and Judas would take that money and keep it for himself. The chief priests didn't like eyes upon Jesus because it was robbing them of followers. People were becoming harder to control and harder to manipulate for their own gain. The Pharisees, they saw nothing to gain for themselves by following Jesus. Many in the crowd followed Jesus because of what he offered them through miracles. John 12 lists many people who were looking for Jesus, but they already had an image of him in their minds. 
In reality, they weren't looking to discover Christ, but to reinforce their own image of God, an image that looked an awful lot like them. Then in the midst of all of these selfish distractions, the stage is cleared and the spotlight turns to a singular, plain-dressed figure and we hear these refreshing words, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. The Jews would always say, we wish to see a sign. But these folks... Greeks, of all people, simply wished to see Jesus. They didn't ask for a flash. They didn't ask for pizzazz. They didn't ask for a miracle or an autograph or a picture. They didn't ask if they could share the stage with Jesus. They didn't ask to see his followers. They simply wished to see Jesus. Are you here to see Jesus? Are you here to help point others to Jesus? I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there seems to be as many Jesuses in the world today as there are people. You know what I'm saying? Every one of us have our own idea of Jesus. If you look long enough, you will find a Republican Jesus. If you look harder, you'll find a democratic Jesus. You can find a lazy, hippie, no-judgment Jesus. You can find a legalistic Jesus. This world and its demons will escort you to a drunken Jesus if you want that. But truly, there is only one Jesus And it's the word of God that tells us exactly who he is and who he is not. It's just the real Jesus makes people uncomfortable. Unless it's the real Jesus you're looking for. But you see, many want to elevate themselves. So they look for a Jesus who will elevate them alongside of him. Many want to shine their light so others can say just how shiny their light is. Augustine said the more humble a person is, the more receptive and full he becomes. Hills repel water, valleys are filled up. Consider the words of John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. Bummer. <laughs> right? Our flesh wants to show something of Jesus while still showing something of ourselves. It's so easy for us to get in the way of His glory. Creating our own twist of He must increase by placing ourselves in the spotlight. Well, if I increase, then I will increase Him also. It's not how it works. In that case, we're leading others to ourselves and not to Christ at all. I love the words in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. It says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, 
but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. There's our position. You see, God's kingdom works different than the world. The higher the title in God's kingdom, the greater the servant you are called to be. The last are first, and the first are last. Mary understood this. The Greeks asking the question understood this. Philip and Andrew understood this. We must understand this. John 12, 22 uh, could, could be one of those verses that when we read our Bible, we just skip over because we feel like it's just giving us details. I love this verse. It, it says, Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, Andrew was known for taking people to Jesus, right? So it makes sense why Philip would tell Andrew, then Andrew and Philip would go and tell Jesus, but I want you to know this. We live in a time of mail-order sermons. We're not even joking. Where, where men who are paid to preach God's word buy them online. I don't know if that offends you or not, but it offends me. We live in a time of spontaneous combustion from the pulpit. And what I mean by that is People get in front of God's people and unprepared deliver a message and then blame it on the Holy Spirit. It's not how it works. We also live in a time of topical regurgitation where people will hear a message from a popular speaker and they will re-deliver it in their own words. Philip and Andrew took the request to Jesus. They didn't say, well, folks, look, I'm the closest that you're going to be able to get to Jesus. They didn't say, you, you should consider the advice that I have to offer. You know, I've actually been with Jesus for some time. They didn't rely on their own experience. They didn't rely on their own talents in an attempt to give these people what they desired. No, they went to Jesus and asked him. Then boys said, we're going to let the Lord answer for himself. Churches would be in much better shape if its preachers and its teachers and its elders would take the requests of its people to Jesus. And they would study and they would pray and ask the Lord to show the people who you are. I believe a preacher's week should be mostly filled with the conversation of prayer and scripture, seeking answers for the people he is charged to shepherd, asking, how can I show them you on Sunday? How can I get out of the way and show the people Jesus? Not my opinion, not the latest ear-tickling reel, not what makes me friends or keeps me followers, but what will lock the eyes of your people on you. The people have come to see Jesus because the people need Jesus. 
They have no need of being filled with the things that the world affords them. They simply need Christ exalted, not a man. They need Christ magnified, not a man. They need Christ lifted high, not a man. People come to church not for a man or a woman to stand in the way, but to hear their plea, sir, we wish to see Jesus. People need Jesus way more than we need a fan club. But we can be offended when people's eyes pass by us and see the Lord. Our issue, as Albert King would sing, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. John 12, 23, and Jesus answered them. So this is the answer to the request of seeing Jesus. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this would seem pretty exciting, right? If I requested to see Jesus and he says, well, it's time for me to be glorified, I would be like, sweet. This is not only are we going to see Jesus, we are going to see Jesus glorified, right? They would have expectations on how this was going to work. Jesus, in his answer, he never even mentions the Greeks, right? He doesn't say, yeah, sure, bring them over. He doesn't say, no, I don't have time for them. He says, you read through all of John 12. All of John 12 makes sense, right? We, we can see how we got from this story to this story to this story to this question, and we're anticipating the response of Jesus, and he answers the request in a way that seems to make no sense whatsoever, right? He says, there can be no glory unless first there's suffering. You want to see me? Then see my suffering. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You know, we can kind of read that and think, well, that's good, but what does it have to do with seeing Jesus? The truth is, it's the answer. It's so maybe just not the answer we were looking for, right? Jesus almost always, almost always responds in a way we wouldn't expect, right? If you want to see me, here you go. See this. I die. I die. Glorified in death. That's really confrontational, isn't it? 
It's really confrontational. He talks about how he has to die, and then he says, you want to see me? Then you must too. You must die too. You want to bear fruit? This is the way. There's no seeing Jesus without death. There's no glory without suffering. There is no fruit without death. There is no victory without surrender. You really want to see Jesus. There's something in us, in our flesh, that always fights to live, isn't there? Something that makes us think we're the first person in all of human history to discover a way to produce fruit from the upper levels of the stage with the artificial lights with some of the attention on us. I want to remind you that we are a seed. We are a seed that dies. And if you think too highly of yourself as a seed, I remind you that that seed is planted by God in the dirt, and that seed is covered up with dirt. Thanks, Pastor. Thanks. That's how Christ produced fruit. And God is glory. That's how we produce fruit that gives him glory. See, we have this, this flesh, right, that, that grips and it claws to live every day. I kill it, and it seems to come crawling back. Isn't it true that our natural self desires the glory of man more than the glory of God? If we don't die, then people see us instead of Jesus. And we are never as good as we think we look. That's why we're encouraged to die daily. So you suppose that they went back to the Greeks and reported what Jesus said? Well, it's kind of complicated here. Um, but here's his answer. I, I would assume that they did because what we just read in verses 24 through 26 is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to see him and you want to really see Jesus, then you have to identify with him. And if we want other people to see him and really see him, then we have to lay down our life, lay down our own glory, our own pride, our own clout. John 12, 24 through 26 is the true path to glory, and it's not our glory, it's his glory. Show the people Jesus. What Jesus is telling them is, I can only be seen in the light of death. The Jesus they desire to see is a dying Jesus. So if we avoid the trials, we avoid the whipping, the crown of thorns, the blood, the cross, the darkness, then truly nothing happens, then truly no one sees Jesus. But that's exactly what the frauds offer. It's what the spotlight offers, a clean, soft, unbroken 
sunshine Jesus, and through that lens, people never see the real Jesus. They never see the Christ who is the Savior, the Christ who is Lord. The fraud always offers you a Jesus that looks eerily similar to themselves or to you. A Jesus that shares the spotlight. And that is not the Christ who saves. People must come face to face with the death of Jesus. It's why Paul said, we preach Christ and Him crucified. It's the heartbeat of the gospel There's no fruit unless the seed dies, unless it is buried and covered up. This is the lens through which we must see Jesus, the lens through which we must preach Jesus, the lens through which we must worship Jesus, through which we must read about Jesus and proclaim Jesus and witness Jesus. It's the lens through which we must die for Jesus. In order that we may and others may glorify him. Not for the applause. Not for the pats on the back. But his glory. His glory. So as people file into pews on Sunday mornings. They're telling the man that gives the announcement, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They're telling the man that stands and plays the guitar, Sir, we're not here for you. We wish to see Jesus. And the man that stands behind the pulpit, get out of the way. We wish to see Jesus. As people turn their radio to a certain station, they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. As they sit down to watch their TV, they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And the real man that's anointed by God through thick and thin, through feast and famine, with all he has, with all passion and all vigor and all conviction, will die to himself and give the people Jesus. Because he understands that any response to the gospel is never due to eloquent words. Never due to the level of talent someone has, but always because someone stepped out of the way, lifted up the name of Christ, and made him known. That's how you get fruit. I just feel like I'm here by myself today for some reason. As John the Baptist described in 3, verse 29, John 3, 29, He said, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I want you to 
I want you to really think about what, what, what John's saying here. John's getting out of the way. I read a quote from Scott Hubbard. He words this perfectly. He says, The bridegroom's friend, John tells us, enjoys a peculiar kind of joy. Not the joy of attention, but the joy of attention giving. He would rather stand and hear the bridegroom's voice than have 10,000 stand and hear his own. He would rather live unseen in the Jordan and watch all of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem stream to Jesus than draw the crowds to himself. He would rather see the bride's eyes from the side as she stares into the groom's than see them head on. I can't forget this. People come to see Jesus. The worship team cannot forget this. The people have come to see Jesus. The Sunday school teachers, the worshipers, the media team, the decorating committee, the stage crew, the journey cast, the, the tithers, the sponsors, the trash guy, the, the kitchen help, the people that clean the toilets, step aside and give the people Jesus. I preached this message in light of it being Media Sunday. Because I want this message to be clear. This is not to promote my name, and it was not to promote my father's name. It adds an immense amount of pressure knowing that there's 900 more people on one TV station that watches us weekly than, than to already preach in, in front of almost 400 of you. We don't do this for self-recognition, and we do not do this for the recognition of free Christian church. That is not what this is about. We do it because we love to see the bride's eyes from the side as she stares into the eyes of the bridegroom. It's not me people want to see. It's never the flashy subtitles or the editing job that people want to see. It might grab their attention. I think it's important. It might grab their attention, but it's the message that will hold them and it is the gospel that will save them. And I have full confidence that if I were to preach my last sermon today, God would put someone else in this pulpit to be just if not more effective than I it's not me, it's him. It's not for my glory, it's for his glory. It's not for the cloud of free Christian. It is for the glory of Christ Jesus in him alone. And so we continue to preach Christ and him crucified. So together we strive to show people the real Jesus. And I want to leave you again with uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. It says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. As Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' 
sake. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for your word that is sharp. Uh, God, that hits us right where we need to be hit. A God that can penetrate even the hardest of hearts. God, I don't, I don't believe that the work that you do through our media outreach is by any means on account of us, who we are, our talents, our abilities, but uh, God, it's awfully humbling to read through the Bible and how you always chose the least to spread your gospel. So I think that anything we see in our life that we see as effective how in the world could we ever think it's because of who we are? God, it's truly humbling to just be able to gather together as believers and to encourage one another in the word. But God, how, how much greater of a responsibility have you given us with a message that that goes all over the world, really. Oh, Lord, and it's not, it's not us that even does the work. God, it's your Holy Spirit that moves in our hearts first, which leads to obedience, which leads to the gospel being preached so that your Holy Spirit can work, change lives. And God, might it be all for your glory. Not, not for pats on the back or so we feel like we've done something but God might it truly be because we love the gospel and we know that it changes hearts and it changes lives and that's it Lord I thank you for a people who believe in the gospel and stand on the gospel and its effectiveness God I thank you for your grace and your mercy that can save a wretch like me and equip me to stand behind a pulpit and preach the greatest story man has ever heard. But God, that's the calling of all of your children to preach the gospel, to go into the highways and the hedges. God, might it not just stop with the media ministry at our church, but God, might it be our personal ministry, our personal conviction to do such a thing. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you have enjoyed today's message from Free Christian Church in Continental Ohio. And we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at freechristian.church. This has been a Free Christian Church audio outreach ministries production.